Welcome to The Power of Data, the podcast by Dun & Bradstreet. Data is everywhere, and there is more created every second of every day. Join us to hear from leaders unlocking the value of data. Welcome to The Power of Data podcast. My name's Nick White. I head up DMB Accelerate. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Adrian Kumsel, Head of Product and Strategy at Own Backup. How are you doing today, Adrian? I'm great, Nick. Great to be with you. Good. Welcome. You've spent 20 years developing software and shaping technology strategies for complex global corporations. Can you provide our listeners with a little bit of your history and career to date and a bit of background to own backup for those who might not be familiar? Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll do that in reverse order. I'll start with own backup and then give a little bit of my history. So own backup was founded about six years ago by some very smart guys in Tel Aviv really off the back of a set of requests they were getting to help these people get their software as a service data back. Ariel, our CTO and his team were running a traditional data recovery service. You could ship them hard drives and SSD cards and things like that, and they'd they'd help you get corrupted data off of them. And because they offered that service, the people started saying, hey, look, I've lost a bunch of data at Salesforce or Microsoft or whatever. Can you help me get that back? And of course, his answer had to be no, because you can't give me the hard drive. This is a piece of SaaS software, but it got him thinking. And he ended up building the first version of our Recover product and then hooked up with Sam Gutman and Ari Yanklev, formed Own Backup, as I say, about six years ago. And we've grown it from there. We now have three products. We have our Recover product, which is the traditional backup and, and recovery solution. We have an archiving product, and then we have a sandbox seeding product, all for Salesforce at this point in time. I joined the company a little over 18 months ago as head of product and strategy. I have been able to build out a product team. Ariel and crew has built an incredible product without any product management, which I think is outstanding. But I've had the privilege of being able to build a proper product team as we grow the company. I also run product marketing, corporate marketing, and also our business development function. So yeah, having an absolute blast. Prior to own backup, I spent seven and a half years at Salesforce. I joined back in 2011, really with this idea that Salesforce at the time was a great divisional play, software as a service play, but not really enterprise grade. We'd been trying to use it at my former employer, JP Morgan Chase, and it it, had missed some things. And I spent some time talking to Salesforce about what those things were. And um, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to then spend seven years trying to fix a lot of that. So Uh, introduced the Shield suite, which is a really enterprise-grade encryption and business activity monitoring, built a bunch of data integration capabilities, re-engineered the developer experience. uh, And then at the end of it, we launched a kind of real-time eventing system. And really, I think we've seen the the adoption of Salesforce in many more mission-critical situations and larger organizations because of a lot of what me and my team built. Prior to that, I spent 15, almost 15 years at various incarnations of JP Morgan Chase, building technology solutions for the bank. Um, my last role there was as CTO, and we actually built a bunch of shared services, that, the goal of which was to make you know, development in a relatively federal organization more efficient, easier and cheaper by solving some of the core underlying problems once and having different divisions we use them. So that's me. Great. What was it that attracted you most to to own backup in the first instance? So I'd actually known Sam and Ori and Ariel for a while. Salesforce was an early investor. 
uh, because I was the platform product lead. I was kind of the executive sponsor for that investment and worked closely with Ariel, particularly on kind of helping them think about the product in the context of Salesforce and where Salesforce was going with its platform. And so when I started looking for what was kind of next for me career-wise, there's a number of things that fit just from a size of company and a phase of growth that I hadn't experienced in my career before, which was exciting. But the thing that really tipped it over the edge is, is that when you think about what Own Backup has in the Recover product, we are custodians of really the full history of how an organization has evolved from a sales or service perspective over time. You don't actually have all of that historical data in Salesforce. And yeah. that we they really think of as a as a unique opportunity to not just help people protect their data, but actually to derive significant amounts of value from it because they can go back in time and see how things have changed and understand that change and, and start to run, you know, whether it's just straight algorithms or artificial intelligence or other things on that information to hopefully become a smarter company. And that opportunity, I think, is is huge. Yeah, and relatively unique as well. Thanks, Adrian. During your time at Salesforce and now at Own Backup, you've witnessed firsthand the incredible growth of the software as a service sector. In your mind, what makes these platforms so valuable and appealing to companies? And do you expect this growth to continue for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I, you know, I think the last 18 months has been particularly interesting in this space. You know, software as a service, I think a lot of people have seen that it, it brings incredible capability that's very easy to acquire quickly to the table. I think we all thought initially that it was going to be really, really easy in the long term. And I think we've started to learn as, as, as people have leveraged software as a service that it does take a lot of curation and a lot of thought and care to keep them running well and to keep them solving business problems. But you don't have that initial huge expense outlay of building a piece of software yourself or installing and acquiring and installing a piece of on-premises software. It's really quick to get going. So the bulk of your investment becomes how do you make that software as a service product do what you want for business, which you know I think a lot of CIOs have realized is a much more efficient way to invest. Much closer relationship between the spend and the value you're getting compared to traditional software. But I think in the last 18 months, what we've seen is just how scalable and available these things are. As people have had to completely rethink how they're running their businesses and whether that's forced them to make a transition towards a digitized business or whether they're already there and they're now just having to think about where their workforce actually works from. I think we've seen a strength that was always lurking under the hood but has, has now really become critical is this just availability of software as a service products. The, the uptime, the availability via mobile devices, the availability from outside your corporate network, it's really, I think, enabled, and we've seen this with a lot of our customers, has enabled people to turn on a dime with this horrible situation of the global pandemic and really enabled their businesses to continue functioning when people are working in all sorts of different places now. And I really don't think that when you look at on-premises software and other things, there's been a lot of scrambling to make that available to employees and just the efficiency without sacrificing the customizability of software as a service has really come to the fore. And we think that it's going to change the 
thought processes of CIOs from software as a service be one of the things I think about as I rebuild my customer engagement system to which is the best software as a service customer engagement system should I pick? I think the the idea of building a lot of this stuff on-prem now is probably in the past. I would agree with you there. It brings me nicely on to the next question, which is you have the opportunity to speak to a lot of CIOs each day. How have you seen their priorities change over the course of your career? Greatly. You know, I think back early on in my career where the CIO was the guy worrying about data centers and machines and in certain forward-looking companies, they'd get consulted by the business, but they were really a, a service provider. And I think in the last 15 years, we've seen that completely change. The CIO is now often in both sitting around the executive table, often spending time in the boardroom as well. Many, many businesses have been fundamentally transformed to be driven by digital, and that has brought the CIO kind of front and center into, into the equation. But, you know, that's come with some risk, put it that way, I guess, you know, with that enhanced attention where the business is really relying on these systems to deliver, we've also seen this ever-increasing regulatory environment, both regulatory and, and need to secure a lot of the data as well as, as the cyber threats increase. So now you've got a CIO who is, you know, incredibly busy trying to balance the need to look after the data appropriately, comply with data privacy, to protect the data, make sure that cybersecurity stuff is up to speed, as well as dealing with the insatiable demand of the business for enhancements and change and new capabilities. And then ultimately now, you know, unfortunately, technology likes to go through marketing themes, um, this whole idea of AI and analytics. Now you've got the business calling on the CIO to give them all this, this insight about how the business is running, which is a lot to have to think about and is putting a lot of, I think, increased strain on, on the CIOs these days. And SaaS, I think, is helping take some of that off. There's this idea of the shared responsibility model and that there is some stuff you can share with the SaaS provider and let them worry about, which means you have to worry about a little less as a CIO. <laughs> but, you know, it's been a it's been an incredible transformation to see them come out of the data center and really move into the into the boardroom in many regards. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing we we didn't touch on there was the implications of moving to the cloud, which is obviously keeping a lot of CIOs awake at night. The key thing here that I wanted to talk about was that software as a service is helping organizations to generate a huge amount of data. And as the volume and velocity of data continues to grow, how do you see companies like Salesforce, Microsoft, and other SaaS providers approaching simple things like data governance? That's a great question. I touched a little bit on it around this, this idea of this shared responsibility model. I think that what these large SaaS companies provide you with is, is absolutely incredible, right? They're, you've got, certainly in the case of Salesforce, you've got a full redundant copy of your system running in another data center that they can fail over to really quickly. I think four copies of the data swilling around in various different forms. Yeah, incredible levels of resiliency and some pretty significant functions they've built into the application these days around governance. So take, for example, data privacy. Within Salesforce, you can tag fields as ones that contain PII, and then the system can reason about those. And a recently launched a privacy center from Salesforce that helps people manage consent and other things with their customers. So I think what we're seeing is one of the great benefits of SaaS is when a company like Salesforce is selling to a 
the bank, for example, it has to have an enterprise-grade product, but the small little business up the street gets all the same capabilities, essentially, if they buy Salesforce as well. So it's kind of the way SaaS is delivered as this uniform piece of software is helping to raise all boats, not just in the functional capabilities of the software, but also in the governance space. I think the big thing that we talk a lot about at Own Backup with our customers is this idea, though, of this shared responsibility. You know, you've you've definitely handed over certain pieces of governance to the SaaS provider, right? They're responsible for the network. They're responsible for the storage subsystems. They're responsible for the applications running, the OS that it all runs on. And that's all great because that's things CIOs don't have to worry about. But they're not really responsible for the data that you put in. And that has been a huge asset out of the gate and has helped CIOs adopt because one of their concerns is always, okay, but if I'm putting my SaaS data in with other people's SaaS data, how do you keep them separate? So that story of it's your data, we can't see it has resonated very well with CIOs. What wasn't really followed up on though was, yeah, you're responsible for putting it in there and you're also responsible for keeping it in there. And you're also responsible for setting the locks on the front doors appropriately. We'll give you the locks, but you know, you've got to make sure it doesn't have the one, two, three, four combo code on it still, right? So there's all this, there's all this stuff in the SaaS applications itself that is that is configuration, that is ensuring you've got the right people, they have that they can access it, they can access the right data. And that, you know, the data you put in there stays in there in its appropriate form. And this this shared responsibility model is something that CIOs are really only now, the last five years or so, starting to get to grips with and for it to be expressed in their policies, right? Part of this is a lot of policy evolution. These large companies have all these, you know, information security policies that have been forged in an on-premises time. And it's hard to change those. It takes a lot of thought. And that's really the process we're in right now. People are reforging those policies around, well, what are we actually trying to achieve with them? And what does that now look like in a shared responsibility model? So there's a lot of evolution going on as people learn to adopt SaaS software properly and appropriately. Amazing. And one of the things I'd like to get your perspective on now is data still still manages to get lost or corrupted in SaaS. And I just wanted to really see what your what are the common causes you're seeing from own backup customers. And are there other vulnerabilities and threats on the horizon that companies should be starting to think about? Yeah, great question. We run a survey to kind of keep our hand in, in where these issues are coming from. By far and away, the, the most prevalent one is, is simply human error. You know, you've got sales cloud. It's kind of running on a platform, which is what allows for the configurability. These platforms are incredibly powerful. And you have users in there that have a lot of power, the, the administrators and, and other developers and things. And occasionally they make mistakes. So we definitely see people who will, you know, run a query that has got an error in it. And we had one customer that was going through a relatively regular process of reallocating all the opportunities from an account executive who just left to a new account executive. And they accidentally allocated every single one of their opportunities to that new account executive. And that's something that's really hard to recover from. You've, you've taken 100 things that were assigned to 10 people, and now all 100 things are assigned to one person. You don't really know. You know, you can't remember who had what. You'd have to go around to the AEs and say, hey, which were your accounts, right? And try and recover them all. And that was relatively easy for the customer. Fortunately, they're a known backup customer to recover from by using our compare and recovery tools. So human error happens a lot. Integrations. 
So automatic jobs running in the background, you know, schemas change, data changes, suddenly 10,000 records get deleted by mistake or, you know, have a unique identifier put into the name code. So now it, you don't actually know what the record, you know, who the company is. Things like that happen. Insider threats is definitely up there on the list that we definitely see, you know, customers recovering from employees that are angry and do some malicious damage. And then, you know, increasingly, we're starting to think about ransomware threats. And obviously, that's another area of shared responsibility. I certainly know for a fact that Salesforce spends a lot of time worrying about that stuff. But, you know, the fact that you have a clear copy in a completely different environment behind a completely different front door is very important for recovery from ransomware. So, you know, we, we also think about that as our customers think about that more and more so. One of the things we try to focus on as a business is to make a recovery system that is suitable for the today's digitally focused always on world. You know, if you think about traditional databases, you kind of have to roll back in time. And with that, you get some collateral damage. Yeah. So historically, recovery processes have been things you, you really execute as a matter of last resort when you've really lost something bad. We're trying to change that. And we're trying to say, look, it's actually about keeping your data healthy and accurate and doing what it needs to be doing for the business. And that means, you know, it should be easy to recover 100 records, right? You shouldn't have to go, oh, I've lost 100 records. But if I roll back that, everybody's work for the last day is going to get blown up. You don't want people to have to make that decision. And the way we do recovery with this ability to compare two points in time in the past and build this precise set of data that fixes your problem, or without taking your system down, or without having any collateral damage, we think that is becoming an imperative for today's digital always on world. It absolutely is, Adrian. And I think both Dun & Bradstreet and Own Backup see the value of data and what it holds for an organization. But can you believe there are still companies out there that just don't see this as a priority? I guess what I'm interested to know is what are Own Backup doing in, in the market to change the perception of some organizations where governance and protection just isn't on their agenda today? That's a really, really tough one. And yeah, you're right. It's it's crazy that some people are happy to run without this sort of a safety net. You know, a bit of what we do is do try and talk about this shared responsibility model. A bit of the decision about not doing anything in the space is because they do think the SaaS provider has their back inappropriately, right? And that's predominantly not because of anything bad, but because of a lack of conversation about it over the last few years. So we do spend a lot of time talking about this shared responsibility model, as we've talked about in this podcast, trying to help people understand that, no, actually, this is your responsibility. You do need to worry about it. Why do you think that conversation doesn't happen? Do you think it's on the SaaS provider or the customer? And it's this, there's a lack of understanding or knowledge around? It was definitely a conversation that was generally avoided, really stemming from this idea that, hey, it's your data and we don't get to see it as a SaaS provider. We don't, you know, the, the SaaS providers are all saying it's your data. It's all secure there. Our, our operators can't see any of it. It's yours. And for whatever reason, nobody ever really, and still doesn't to some degree, talk about the other half of that statement, which is, and it's yours. And therefore, you need to look after it. And we can't help you because it's yours when you have an issue. You know, and some of the SaaS providers have architectures that have made using traditional backup technology easier, you know. ServiceNow is a good example. 
there's a daily backup that everybody's got and people can roll back to that. But again, it's it's this rollback problem, right? So you've got to be willing to take the collateral hit. Microsoft Dynamics has has a similar architecture under the hood. You know, I think a bit of it is that people still think of it as a crisis, a solution for a crisis, right? When something really bad has happened. And for the most part, those really bad things like a loss of a data center or a loss of connectivity or a cataclysmic system outage, these SaaS providers have you covered for, right? They have the disaster recovery instance running. And a lot of people, and we get this out of our survey, just the sheer number of people who don't think they're having corruptions of their data, partially because they don't look at it. They don't actually watch it. There aren't really tools for looking at a even a database, but a, a SaaS data set and going, does this look roughly like what it should look like? Or did something happen overnight that was bad? And you don't really get notified until a user comes along and says, hey, I had 25 cases I was working yesterday and today I've got none. What happened? Right. And part of what our product allows customers to do is actually put on smart alerts and watch the changes of data over time and get alerted when statistical anomalies appear, which comes back to that whole idea, really, that I think customers, they've got to think of this as not as crisis protection, but as ongoing managing the health of your data, right? Which has always been a tough thing to, to think about. I think we're getting better at it now, you know. The data privacy stuff has introduced a much stronger idea in organizations around data owners and people who are responsible for thinking about the data. It's kind of crazy when we think about how much data is the lifeblood of a lot of businesses now, how much we actually don't spend time thinking about its quality, its consistency, its completeness, and whether you've got roughly the same set of data today that you thought you had yesterday. And that's all conversations that we have as well, trying to help people understand that really this is about giving your business the best information to make the best decisions that they can. And you should be worrying about these small errors because there's now tools that allow you to fix them easily. Great. Thank you, Adrian. That's really interesting insights. Bringing the podcast to a close, and since you're the head of products and strategy, I'm hoping this final question will be an easy one. What's next for own backup in innovation? And can you share some insight into the future of the business? Yes. You know, we've been very focused on Salesforce for the start of our life, and we are in the process of changing that. As other SaaS platforms are developing and growing, I've mentioned a couple of them along the way, things like Microsoft Dynamics, things like ServiceNow and Workday. We're seeing all the same issues appear with them as people are putting more and more business-critical data into them. And we think they warrant the same kind of quality of, of data protection that we can provide Salesforce. So our first step moving forward is to expand beyond just the Salesforce ecosystem, as great as the Salesforce ecosystem is. There are other people out there that we think can leverage what we offer. So we'll be doing that. We do have two other products in addition to our Recover product, Archiver and a Sandbox Seeding product. Archiver, pretty straightforward. It copies data out of, of your SaaS instance and lets you keep it for appropriate periods of time for regulation or, or other purposes and relieves the SaaS product of having to have that data knocking around and, and clogging it up. And then Sandbox Seeding helps you build useful anonymized data sets that you can develop against, which is, as we touched upon earlier, one of the challenges CIOs have is, is making this, satisfying this insatiable desire for new capabilities that businesses are putting on them. And Sandbox Seeding helps developers 
build data sets that are good for testing, for development, for even for training, neatly and concisely off of production data whilst complying with data privacy rules. So those are applicable to other ecosystems as well. You know, that's that's a problem that is there with in the Microsoft space as well. So lots of excitement there. A couple of other things we want to do. First one is is obviously when we think of ourselves as data protection, we think about it in from the perspective of, of just keeping a copy so that you can cover if you lose it or or it gets corrupted. But there are other aspects of data protection as well around, you know, who has access to the data, is it the right set of people, who's looking at it, etc. So the more kind of I think what we classically call the security side of things. We're looking to kind of round out the idea of data protection for the CIO to include those areas as well. And then ultimately, going back to kind of what we touched upon right at the start of the podcast, how do we turn this data around and give it back to the customer in a way that they can actually improve their business based on it? So how do we help them use it to analyze what's working, what isn't working? And there's a lot of companies out there trying to bring artificial intelligence to this data one of the problems they have is is a cold start problem. When you first buy the AI tool, it has to sit there and amass data for a few months before it can start making good predictions. If a customer is already a customer of own backup, we're hoping that they will be able to feed the uh, AI training set with historical data right out of the gate. So we'll shorten time to value for AI solutions as well. So we're thinking a lot about how do we help the customer move this backup data from an insurance policy to something of value that they can leverage and improve based off of. That sounds very interesting indeed, Adrian, and I can see some potential collaboration opportunities for us organizations in that space, certainly in your sandbox cedar application and helping to turn data into a valuable asset. Thank you so much for your time today, Adrian. It's been a fascinating opportunity for me to speak to you today. Thanks, Nick. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you for listening to the Power of Data podcast. Goodbye. Find out more about how Dun & Bradstreet can help your business be better. Contact us at marketinguk at dnb.com. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.